Good morning. Welcome to First Church. I'm Reverend Brenda. I'm one of the pastors here. We are super excited you have joined us in person or online. And because you are here in person, there are black pads on every row. And we would love for you to sign in your attendance. If you are joining us online, if you would use the platform online to sign in, we greatly appreciate you for that. All songs, responses uh, will all be on the screens here in the sanctuary and on your device at home. We are getting ready for Habitat for Humanity Spring Bill, and we are in need of volunteers to help us in this process. We, are, we will be caulking and painting. So you don't actually have to pick up a hammer, but you'll have to pick up a paintbrush, and we would love for you to join us. Please visit OnRamp if you are interested in helping to uh, do that for Habitat for Humanity. This worship service, we have designed a very special class called Rooted for Sunday School. Right after the 9.30 service, there is a new 11 o'clock Sunday School class that will begin May 7th in room 320. We would love to connect you to a place of Sunday School. Please see Zinnia or visit on wrap. Now would you please stand and join me for our call to worship. Give thanks to God and call upon his name. For God is and God is here. Spread the news of what God has done throughout the world. For God is and God is here. Sing praise and shout for joy. For God is great and God is here. Let's worship God together. Amen. Good morning again, everybody. Glad we're warm in here. Uh, if you are sitting on your couch watching us, uh, more power to you. We're glad you're here with us as well. My name is Clint Church. I'm one of the worship leaders here at the gathering, if we haven't met, uh, along with the gathering band. Uh, we're going to start uh, with some upbeat songs today. So this is one that I think you all know. This is called Holy Water. Let's sing together.
take me to the riverside, take me under baptized, I need you, oh God, I need you. is a new song to the gathering. It's kind of old, actually. I, well, okay. I need to be careful when I say old and, and new. Um, so <laughs> it's maybe 10 years old. Is that old for a song? Maybe. Um, but it's new to the gathering, so I'm going to teach it to you here really quick. This song is called All the People Said Amen, and the chorus is pretty easy. Uh, it just says, All the People Said Amen. And so it goes like this. And all the people said amen. Oh, and all the people said amen. Give thanks to the Lord for his love never ends. And all the people said amen. Easy enough, right? Okay, y'all are good. We got it. Here we go. We're going to sing this together. Here we go. Walk. If you are lonely, when you feel afraid, you're not the only. We are all the same, in need of mercy, to be forgiven and be free. It's all you got to lean on, but thank God it's all you need. And all the people said amen. Love never 
you're rich or poor, well, it don't matter. We go strong, you know, love is what we're after. We're all broken, but we're all in this together. God knows we stumble and fall. And God so loved the world, God sent a son to save us all. And all the people said, Amen. Oh, and all the people said, Amen. Give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for His love never ends. And all the people said, Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit who are torn apart. Blessed are the persecuted and the pure at heart. said amen oh, and all the people said amen oh, and all the people said amen give thanks to the Lord for his love never ends and all the people said amen and all the people said amen Amen. Please be seated, everyone. I'm so thankful that you have joined us this morning for worship. We don't like to make a big deal about it in church, but when you come to church on the days that it's raining, it does count double. So <laughs> just don't make a big deal about it, but it's true. To our larger-than-usual audience online this morning, welcome as well. I'm so thankful that you've joined us for worship. One of the things that we celebrate over and over again in the life of our church are the sacraments these practices initiated by Christ Jesus so that we might be able to tangibly experience his grace in our lives. And it's in that spirit that I invite the Bryce family forward for the baptism of their son. If y'all will stand up here and face that camera in the back so my mom can see watching from home. <laughs> Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All of this is God's gift offered to us without price. I present Stetson Ford Bryce for baptism today. So now to his parents, I ask you on behalf of the whole church, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If so, say, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, say, I do. I do. do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, all nations, and all races? If so, say, I do. And finally, will you nurture Stetson in Christ's holy church, that by your teaching and example, he may be guided to accept God's grace for himself, to profess his faith openly, and to lead a Christian life. If so, say, I will. Hey, Stetson. Do you mind coming over here real quick? What's up, my dude? Good luck. Oh, hey, buddy. 
Stetson Ford. Hey, look at me real quick. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son. It is funny. And of the Holy Spirit. And pray God's richest blessings upon you now and every day. Amen. Would you all put a hand on Stetson with me, even brother too? Stetson forward, the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born through water and the Spirit, you may grow as a faithful disciple of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the things, I'm going to walk so everyone can see how good you look, all right? One of the things that's happening in my life right now, I have a number of children who are between the ages of four and 11, and there's something incredible that's happening in my house, around the kitchen table, in the backyard, in the car, things like that. And I'll be talking to my kids, different ages, different stages, and they'll start talking about God. They'll start talking about God, and they'll start talking about God, God's love, God's grace, God's presence, God's work, things like that. But I'll find, and I'll hear them saying things that I didn't teach them, right? And they're true, but it's just we didn't have, we didn't have that conversation yet, which means someone else is teaching them, and that someone else are the people of our church, the people who are volunteering, the people who are serving, the people who are in Sunday school classes and vacation Bible school, it's you. You're teaching my kids about church. And one of the things that we do, I mean, about not only church, but about God. And one of the things that we do when we baptize a child into our church is together as a church saying, I'll be one of those people. I'll be one of those people at vacation Bible school. I'll be one of those people in Sunday school classes. I'll be one of those people at the middle school lock-in. I'm looking to see who's making eye contact with me right now. <laughs> Because it's important that people like Stetson know how much they are loved and cared for by God now and always. If you're one of those people, would you please indicate so with a round of applause? Congratulations. Way to go, buddy. Thank God. <laughs> you can't go home yet. Yeah, he's like, can I go home now? <laughs> you were perfect. You were perfect. We now come into a a very special time. And this is a time that we come at called prayers of the people. So when we talk about the things that are our hearts, people that we want to lift up in prayer. So I'm gonna be lifting up some names that I know of, and then there's an opportunity for you to say the names that are on your heart. Those that we celebrate, those that we grieve, all those things that we have, I want us to be able to take to God. And so when we say these things, I'm gonna say, uh, Lord, in your mercy, and you're going to say, hear our prayers. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. We bow our hearts before you, God. You are the creator of everything we see in heaven and on earth. We pray that out of your glorious, unlimited resources, you would strengthen our hearts and minds through the power of your Holy Spirit. May your love be the rich soil in which our lives are rooted. May your love be the firm foundation on which we build our lives, so that together with all of your people everywhere, we would come to truly understand how long, how high, how wide, how deep your love really is. For it far surpasses anything we could ever imagine. God, fill us with your fullness and the power that comes from you alone so that our lives would reflect your goodness and grace to the world around us. Lord, in your mercy. Father God, the creator of all, 
your creation testified about your power, grace, and love. New lives, new hopes, new opportunities, new dreams. For all this, O oh God, we give you thanks. Lord, in your mercy. Everything that you create, you make free. And over and over again, our freedom is used for the purpose of sin, for alienation from you, for violence, for hatred, for greed. And yet, when we were at your worst, you did not abandon us, but you joined us. You came alongside us as Jesus Christ to redeem us and reconcile us, to restore us to relationship with you forever. For this, God, we give you thanks. Lord, in your mercy. Always and everywhere, O oh Holy Spirit, we are never alone. You come alongside us. You bring us into this new experiences of God's grace and peace. For this constant presence of God in our lives, we give you thanks. Lord, in your mercy. Today, I lift up some of your children, Margaret, Tom, Dorothy, Lord, in your mercy. I invite you now to name those on your heart. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, you've heard our prayers, and we give you thanks for your loving arms around us. Open our hearts to hear you. May we open our arms to be living hope in the world today and open our hearts to bring peace and healing for all people. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. This time I invite our ushers to make their way down uh, forward. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank you. We wouldn't have all the special programmings and ministries in this church without your generosity. And I just got back taking the Wesleyan Adventurers. They're actually our senior adult ministries of the church, but they don't want to be called seniors. So they're Wesleyan Adventurers. So if you ever see that name, it's for anybody that's probably 60 or above. And we really tried to do healthy plate discipleship. This was our playtime. We went to Galveston and we had a great time together. And then we are having a service project coming up in May where we're going to give back to the church. We do fellowship, we pray together, we support each other. It's a way for us to be connected because we all know that life sometimes is wonderful and glorious and sometimes it's hard. And so I encourage you to find your group. And there's just, just one group of many groups in our church. And I want to give you thanks for all your generosity to make that happen. So let us pray. Gracious and loving God, you have blessed us so much. I ask you to be with our hearts that we give generously to all the ministries of your church. In Christ's holy name, amen. Spirit of resurrection. 
Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 1 through 17. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, updated edition. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God was all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. God speaks to us through the reading of Scripture. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I want to extend words of thanks and gratitude. One of the things I do almost every Sunday is thank the band. I don't know if y'all realize this, but the band is all volunteers. Clint's a member of the church staff. He's in the communications department, and he does, you know, works with the team that puts slides and emails and videos and all that kind of stuff together. And the entire rest of the band has full-time jobs or are students, have family, have commitments, and every week they spend hours learning new songs, rehearsing, rehearsing, coming together. I didn't realize this, but when you're a drummer, for every 10 minutes you get to spend playing drums, you have to spend two hours carrying drums. I didn't realize that. You want to think about that when you pick your instruments. So can we just have a quick round of applause to their faithfulness and their commitment? Band, thank you so much. That time, that energy, that effort, so that we can just have a great band lead us in worship. It's so appreciated. For that, I'm so thankful. That's a really visible way of volunteering. There's some other less visible ways of volunteering, too, that I also want to lift up. One of the things at the church about which we are very serious is praying with you. Whether you're a first-time visitor or guest, whether you're a long-time part of this church, we want to make sure that you are with your church in times of prayer, particularly, as Phyllis mentioned, when you're going through seasons that are tender or difficult. After this, in every service, we have someone who volunteers over at the Congregational Care Ministry sign to pray with you in that moment. But one of the things that you'll also notice is that we've begun to include prayer requests in those black folders. I hope you signed in and registered when you attended here. If you haven't already, you'll notice that when you attend, there's also a sheet for prayer requests. And you can fill out a prayer request there. You can fold it up and leave it in the binder. You can put it in the plate as it comes around. If you get it to us, it'll get to the right place. And we faithfully pray over those prayer requests throughout the course of the week. And one of the things that is going to begin this Wednesday, April 26, is we're going to start having a weekly prayer meeting. It's going to meet at 8.30 in the mornings in the chapel. And if you've never been a part of a prayer meeting, it's a time of focused gathering in prayer. It'll be led by Pastor Samuel Macias, uh, one of our pastors on staff who specializes in leading the prayer ministry. You don't need to have any special skills or experience. What Pastor Samuel will help you do is understand the rhythm of immersing yourself in God's presence, in God's activity, praying not only for yourself, but interceding on behalf of those in our church, and in our community who need to experience an extra measure of God's grace. So if you've never been a part of something like that, I urge you to look into it. Talk to Pastor Samuel. Give it a visit. It's a real chance to make a difference. And if you're someone in need of prayer, please let us know. We would be honored to walk alongside you during this time. So 
That being said, I haven't introduced myself. My name is Lance Marshall. I'm the senior pastor here at the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth. A welcome to all of you again who are in person on Fifth Street, worshiping online, catching up later on on podcasts or on YouTube. It all counts. I'm glad you're worshiping with us today. And I'll be honest with you, uh, big surprise, I am still floating on the high of Easter. Uh, I, I'm still there. Rain all you want, rain. Be 50 degrees all you want. I'm still in a great mood. It's not going to stop me. I am still so thrilled with the energy and the love and the joy that is just present in my life, made particularly clear on Easter Sunday times of worship. And I have to tell you, everyone I know who is a preacher as a part of their regular weekly ministry has the exact same experience in preparation for Easter Sunday. Let me give you a little peek behind the curtain. So what happens about a month in advance is you start to go, oh my gosh, Easter's coming. And then the weight of Easter starts to weigh on you as the preacher. And you start thinking, oh my gosh, theologically, this is the most important day of the year, right? Theologically, I mean, the resurrection is the hinge upon which the entire Christian faith swings. We, I, I need to make sure it's a really, really good message. And then you start thinking about the fact that there's just going to be a lot of people here. So it's kind of like your annual performance review. So you're like, I also need to do like a good job, just, you know, period, right? This is, everyone at the church is going to be here. So I can't, I can't skate by on this one. And so, you know, as opposed to all the other ones. Um, and then you start thinking about all the people who are going to be present at Easter who don't go to church, who don't have a relationship with Christ, who are maybe opening the door a crack, and maybe this is one opportunity for them to hear a powerful invitation into the good news that Jesus Christ offers them. And then all of this starts to weigh on you. So beginning weeks in advance, you start thinking about all of these creative things that you're going to do on the Easter sermon, and you're like, oh, no, I'm going to say amen, and then all the lilies are going to explode, you know? And then you're like, maybe laser lights, I don't know, give away a car, let's try anything. And and it starts to build up and build up and build up, and you write that message or you rehearse that message, and then the week of Easter comes and you throw it all away. Every preacher I know, every year, exact same thing. Lots of pressure, big, complicated, innovative, tricked-out message. The week of Easter comes, and you throw it all away, and you just tell the story. You just tell the story of the love you tell the story of the presence. You tell the story of the gift of Christ. You tell the story of his proclamation. You tell the story of his rejection, his crucifixion, and his resurrection, because that's the good news. You spend a month trying to trick it up or make it new or innovative or complicated, and then the day of Easter comes, and you just tell the story, because the good news is the good news. In one sentence, the good news is that God so loved the world that God gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have life eternal. That's the good news, and we celebrate that on Easter Sunday because that's the day where the promise becomes real and tangible and life-changing. But something can happen. Something can happen in our individual lives. Something can happen in our churches or in our culture, and that is we can make the good news too small. We can make the good news in our hearing and in our understanding too limited. What I mean by that, and correct me if you've ever heard anything like this, if you were to ask someone the story of Jesus and what it means, they might say something like, well, Jesus is God's son with us. He proclaimed God's love for the world and invited people into relationship with God through faith in him. 
He was crucified and resurrected. And if you affirm that that is who Christ is, and that is what Christ did, then Christ will include you into life eternal, which begins on the other side of your funeral. And that's technically true. That's every aspect of that is 100% true. And yet we miss out on so much of what the good news actually is if we limit it to that. Because the good news is actually much better than that. I mean, that's true, but the good news is actually better than that. And the good news is actually bigger than that. And the good news is actually more powerful than that. And the good news is way more relevant than that. And the good news is actually much more actionable and trustable and believable and live into a bull, which is a brand new word. I made it up, but you know what it means. It's much more of all of those things than just that simple proclamation about life after death. And we're in a sermon series right now, and I didn't know what to call it, so I just called it the greatest good news. But the good news is so much bigger than the small news that so many of us have settled for. And that's what we're going to do over the course of these next few messages, is I want to show biblical examples and relate them to everyday life and to your life about how what God has done in and through Christ and assured in the resurrection and continues today through the resurrected Christ's work is much, much, much bigger than just affirm this so that something wonderful will happen on the other side of your funeral. And that's what we're going to talk about. And the big focus today is how in and through the resurrected Christ, God is showing and assuring and promising and working to tear down the barriers that we erect between one another. That's what God is doing, and that is profoundly good news, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And one of the help, help, most helpful ways for us to understand it is to actually dive into the scripture reading that we had today. So if you're new to reading the Bible, there's the, the New Testament is the portion of the Bible that's unique to the Christian faith. It begins with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them tell the story of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. They all tell that story beginning to end. I was a Christian longer than I want to admit who thought that Jesus was born in Matthew and was resurrected in John. Thought that was going to get a laugh. You know, it's early. It's cold. That's not the case. Uh, and if you're still learning that, that's absolutely all right. The next books that come is called the Book of Acts, and that's short for Acts of the Apostles. And Acts of the Apostles is a history book. It's a what comes next book. After the resurrection, what happens next? And the book of Acts is the telling of that story. And one of the main key figures in that story is the apostle Peter. We'll remember in the hearing of the gospel story that Peter is one of the earliest people whom Jesus calls to be one of his apostles and followers. And one of the things that's happening over and over again is that Peter just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He gets it wrong. But Jesus continues to include and to teach and to shape and to reveal to Peter. At one point, Jesus asks Peter, who do people say that I am? And they say, your Ezekiel, come back. Your John the Baptist, come back, etc." And Jesus asks him, well, who do you say that I am, Peter? And he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says that you're exactly right. In fact, you didn't figure that out on your own. God revealed that to you. And that faith and that affirmation, that's the rock, that's the foundation on which my entire church will be built. Not just you and your skills, but that faithfulness. That's going to be the beginning of my church. And after the crucifixion and the resurrection and the reconciliation between Jesus and Peter that takes place because Peter had denied Jesus before his crucifixion, Jesus gives him a chance to make right that relationship. And then Jesus ascends. 
The gift of the Holy Spirit is given to the early church, and Peter's one of the people who is going about this early, early work of proclaiming the gospel. Now, the world into which Peter is preaching is divided and full of conflict and difference. The main conflict of the time is the fact that the people of Israel have been conquered by a foreign power. The Roman Empire is the strongest army, the greatest political and military force that's ever existed in the face of the planet to that point. And it exists to uh, suppress and to extort the communities that it has conquered for its own gain and glory. That's all it does. It suppresses and it removes wealth to ship it for the elites back home and to fund its military work. And the center of that work in this area was a city called Caesarea Philippi. It's the very place where Peter made that proclamation about who Jesus is. And there's people all throughout that city. The vast majority of them are not Jewish. They're Hellenists or Greeks or Roman by heritage. And there's a man named Cornelius who not only isn't Jewish and is not only from Caesarea, but his job is he's not only a soldier in that occupying army, he's one of its leaders. He's one of its pillars of strength. But something's happened in the life of Cornelius. He's come to hear about the Hebrew God. He's come to understand who their God is, and he's fallen in love with that God. The translations from the Hebrew into English will usually say that he fears God. A better translation in the way that we use words would be to say he reveres God. He's fallen in love with this God. He prays to this God constantly. He gives alms in support of the people who need support. He's trying to live faithfully in every way that he can, but there is absolutely zero pathway for Cornelius to understand himself as loved by God. He loves God, but he can never understand himself to be loved by God because he's not Jewish. That's their thing for them. And he's heard the stories, and he loves God, and there is zero pathway to him to understand himself as loved by God in return because that door for him is shut. And he's stuck. Meanwhile, Peter is preaching and teaching, but one of the things that he knows, he fundamentally knows in the world, is that some things are good and some things are bad. Some things are clean and some things are dirty. That has been drilled into him since he was a little boy about what it is to live faithfully in relationship with God. And there's some things you just do not do. You do not spend time with people who are not like us. You do not go to their houses. You do not eat at their tables. You do not touch them or do business with them. You do not touch things that are dirty like dead animals and you don't touch the people who do. You only eat certain foods and at certain times. You only work in certain places and in certain ways. And this has been drilled into him. He knows it. And what has happened is that there has been a rock-solid barrier that has been erected, separating people like Peter, who have come to know the good news of God in Christ Jesus, but who still live in obeyance of those barriers, and people like Cornelius, who desperately want to be known and loved by God, but have no one to share it with them. That's the problem. Problems like that still exist today. Separating ourselves from us to them, the we, the they, the good, the bad, is just hardwired into who we are as people. Just think right now in your own head. I'm not going to make you go around the room and share. But who's your us? Who's your us? 
Who's your us, and how do you organize them? Just think about the people with whom you're most comfortable. Is it language? Is it family relation? Is it neighborhood? Is it economics? Is it orientation? Is it race? Let's be honest. Is it college football? (laughs) Who's your us? And who's your them? Who's your them? Culturally, politically, religiously, socially. Who's your us? And who's your them? It seems like a great percentage of the time, those conflicts and those divisions are able to simmer at a low level of intensity, but not always and not everywhere. I was thinking about this us and them and the dire, sometimes violent, sometimes deadly consequences of that orientation in life. And this common example kept coming up in my reading and in my study and in my prayers. And it's the conflict that took place in Northern Ireland over the last hundreds of years, but particularly acutely between 1968 and 1998 in a time that was called the Troubles. And I want to be honest now, I'm kind of out on the ledge. I'm a guy who's about to try to explain something after like four Wikipedia articles and two YouTube videos, which is always a little tricky. I would be very nervous if I was in Belfast and a pastor was like, let me tell you what it was like to be a Mavericks fan in 2011. I would be like, I think I can help you out here, Padre. Um, So if you have a deeper or better understanding of this conflict and its roots, please extend to me grace and forgiveness. I'm doing my best to educate myself. But I'll basically share this. Of course, the islands of England and Ireland are close to each other, and the relationship between the two has been fraught for many hundreds of years. As early as I believe the 1200s, people of England were claiming dominion and leadership over the island island of Ireland uh, with all the subsequent problems that come with colonialization. There were efforts to overthrow and have independent rule by the people of Ireland. Beginning in the 1600s, people in England began sending people over to colonize Ireland, literally stole and gave them land for the purposes of establishing a foothold on that island that would remain permanently loyal back to the kingdom of the United Kingdom back on the English Isles. Over the course of many hundreds of years, exacerbated by things like the famine that took place uh, in Ireland in the 1800s, where people were literally starving to death by the millions while people on England had excess food and were selling it internationally for profit, it created more and more division, more and more tension, more and more anger, and more and more hatred, and ultimately it erupted in violence. And one of the main causes of the violence, particularly in the area of Northern Ireland, is that people who lived next door to each other and had lived next door to each other for hundreds of years. And think about what that means, right? Think about what it means to be a long-term Fort Worth family. If you are a long-term Fort Worth family with deep roots, you have been here since 1987. (laughs) Think about what it's like to have lived in the same county since the year 1610. This is your place. This is where you belong. And in a moment like this, where they're determining the future of the country, the fate of who they are and whose they are, the disagreements erupted to the point of intractable violence. There were those who decided, wanted desperately to be a part of the Republic of Ireland. There were those who, even though they lived on the island of Ireland, still held deep allegiances to the United Kingdom, just close across the channel. Of course, you may be aware that these allegiances also had religious elements to them. The people of Ireland, overwhelmingly Roman Catholic. 
the people of allegiance back to England, overwhelmingly Protestant. But the more that I've read about that story, that's more just a fact, not really a contributing agent. If you watch the news, the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, bombings, assassinations, snipers, stabbing, violence in the streets, bloody Sunday, intractable wars of neighbor against neighbor, all rooted in us versus them and no pathway forward. Who started it, who's right, who's wrong, all of that left to the dustbin of history. Everybody had been wronged to their bones. They were sure, they knew it. How do you come to know anything else? Peter knew that people like Cornelius and people like, in places like Caesarea Philippi were not to be the recipients of Jesus' life-changing good news. He knew it. Cornelius knew that he could fear God, love God, revere God, give alms to God, but that his way in the world was through Caesar. He could love this God and its alternative understanding of the divine, so much different than the capricious Roman pantheon, but to him, at the end of the day, Caesar is Lord. They both knew it. How do you come to know something different? You know, it's fascinating. There's a little detail that takes place in this scripture that you can easily overlook if you don't happen to uh, be familiar with some of the aspects of early, um, of the Jewish culture in which Peter was raised. But it says he's staying at the home of Simon, a tanner. That's Simon's job. He's staying at the home of Simon, a tanner. Peter has begun to, to move out from Jerusalem. Amazing things are happening. Thousands of people are converting all at once. A new community is being formed in Jerusalem around the good news of Christ's grace. People are being healed when his shadow walks by. People who appear to be dead are brought to new life by his touch, made possible through Christ. Incredible things are happening, and Peter's heart is starting to be changed a little bit. Even though Peter was one of the people who saw Jesus get on a boat and cross the lake to go to the other and heal a man in garrison from the demons that oppressed him, even though Peter would have seen Jesus go to Samaria and to heal the woman at the well, even though she was a part of a people considered unclean, even though Jesus would have seen him go to the woman who was from a different culture and a different community in one of the Canaanites and to heal those that she loved at her table, he's still oppressed by the understanding that there's a difference between us and and them, and the barrier is too high to cross. But he's starting to change, little by little. And that's how it happens in people's lives, doesn't it? It starts to change little by little, and he's staying at the house of Simon, a tanner. What that means is this man, Simon, would have been a Jewish person, but he would have pursued the way to support himself and his family through the practice of tanning, which fundamentally involves the handling of dead animals, which in Jewish culture means you're dirty means you can't be a part of our community. You can't have right relationship with God. You can't be a part of temple worship. You can't be a part of our social fabric and our network. You are other because of what you do and who you touch. But something's starting to change in Peter. Enough to the point where he's willing to stay with Simon. But not everything's changed. As a part of his life of devotion, he goes up to the roof and he's praying and he's hungry. And he receives this vision that he thinks is a test. And this is important for you to hear. He thinks it's a test. He's given a vision where everything in the world is connected. 
where everything in the world belongs to everything else, and it's all drawn together in the love of the God who made it, and he thinks it's a test. So when it's put in front of him and it says, kill and eat, he says, I would never. I've never failed that test. I've never broken kosher food laws. I've never done anything that would make me unclean. He thinks it's a test, and he's sure that he passes it. So God speaks again and says, don't call unclean what I have made clean. Don't call unclean what I have made clean. And in that moment, he's talking about the dietary laws of restriction, but what God's really teaching is about people. Because just like Cornelius sees a vision of a man named Simon Peter who's staying at the house of a tanner named Simon in Joppa, and he sends those who report to him out to collect him. Peter has a vision too. Peter has a vision of what it is to respond to what God is doing in his life, and he goes to Caesarea Philippi, and he meets Cornelius, and he goes to his house. Cornelius asked to be baptized, and what that means is asked to actually enter into a relationship with God. What Cornelius asks for is some way to know that he is loved by God as much as he loves God. That door to him had forever been shut. He knew it. To him, Caesar would be Lord forever, and he knew it. And everything has changed when the barrier that divides people like Cornelius and people like Peter is torn down by God. That's what happens in that story. Cornelius and his household, people who've never been Jewish, who've never followed Jewish dietary laws, who've never been circumcised, who've never done any of the acts of observant Jewish identity, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the rock-solid, concrete proof that what God has done in Christ Jesus is for everyone, and every barrier that gets erected between people exists only in human minds and not in the eyes of God. In Northern Ireland, neighbors were killing each other, conspiring against each other, undermining each other, hating each other. People who'd shared the same land for hundreds of years, who shared the same community for hundreds of years, who shared the same religion that agrees on 99.9% .9 of its points of doctrine. And a man named Ray Davis had a vision He's a, someone who fought in World War II. He was actually a prisoner of war in Dresden. He was an allied soldier imprisoned in Dresden by the Nazis when the firebombing took place. He saw a city and its structures and its innocent people burned to the ground. And one of the things that it seared into his mind is the degree to which people were capable of hating each other and hurting each other when they saw division between them. He went home to Northern Ireland, and in 1965, before the violent troubles stepped into their next phase, he started a community called Corimila, a Christian community, a community of prayer, a community of connection and reconciliation. What Ray and others did at Corimila was invite Protestant and Roman Catholic families, invite Republicans and people who were still loyal to the United Kingdom, people who had grown up knowing more than anything else that they were right and they were wrong, that they were good and they were bad, that they were clean and they were dirty. 
and he brought them together at the table of Christ to hear each other's stories, to hear about God at work in each other's lives, to hear about the grace of God present in and through their families, to hear about their hopes and dreams, to hear about whom they loved and whom they grieved, to hear how they had been hurt and their hope for the future. Still active today, for 50 years, Corey Mila has changed lives, has changed churches, has changed communities, has changed a country because it dared to be a part of the barrier-breaking work that God is already doing. And this is the point I need you to hear. The point is not God is breaking down barriers, so you go out in Tarrant County to your school or to your neighborhood or to your political meeting and break down all the barriers that are around you. That would be to tell you to do something on your own strength and with your own power, and that's bad news. The good news is greater than we think, and the good news today is that God is breaking down those barriers. And the places where we separate ourselves and we see ourselves as different or better than anybody else around us, the places where we see others as dirty or unclean or unworthy or wrong, is a place that God is changing today. God is changing. God has won. God will win in every single one of those places. All we do is be a part of what God is already doing. That's what happened when that tomb rolled away. And that's what's happening still today. Whatever you thought the good news was, it's even better than that. Let's pray. Great and loving God, great are you and greatly to be praised. Lord, help us search our hearts for the division, the barriers that we've erected between us and them, the lines that we have used to draw to make ourselves feel safer or better or cleaner. God, remind us that we are all a part of the great universe that you have made. Help us to see each other as you see us, connected, mutually blessed, mutually in need. Guide us, keep us, shape us in the image of your son Jesus as together we pray the words that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. On the day that he was to give himself up for us, Jesus had dinner with his disciples, his closest followers, knowing what they would face in that moment, knowing what we would face in years to come. He took an ordinary loaf of bread, gave thanks over it, and broke it. And what he did not say was, take and eat those of you who are Jewish, take and eat those of you who have made a confession of faith, those of you who are baptized. What he did say was, take and eat all of you all of you everywhere at all times and all places take and eat all of you because this is my body that is broken for all of you do this in remembrance of me after the meal was over he took a cup of ordinary table wine gave thanks over it blessed it and passed it and he said take and drink of this all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant the new promise the new assurance the new good news 
that is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins, the overcoming of whatever it is that you think separates you from me or from each other. Do this in remembrance of me. So every time we gather together as the gathering, we take and eat of the bread and the cup in remembrance of the Christ who saves each and every one of us and brings us all together. In just a moment, the ushers are going to release you to come forward as I invite those who are assisting with communion to come forward to the tables. What's going to happen when you do is when you come with your hands held open like this, someone with a food service glove will take a piece of bread and place it in your hands. You'll then eat it, go to the next station, take a cup of juice, drink the juice, and as you head back down up the outside aisle, place the now empty juice container in one of the trash cans. We also have a station for people up on the balcony, though of course you are welcome to come and receive the communion rail if you like. We have gluten-free wafers for anyone who's sensitivity to, sensitive to wheat, and we always celebrate with non-alcoholic grape juice so that no one ever has to choose between sobriety and the sacrament. <laughs> this is not the First United Methodist Church's table. This is not the gathering's table. This is Christ's table. Like his grace, like his love, like his presence and power, it's for everybody. Every age, every background, every understanding. The table is set. The meal is ready. Come forward and be fed.
As we come to the end of our time of worship together today, just want to remind you that after every service, right up here at the front, we have a station called On Ramp, where members of our community would love to say hello to you. If you're a first-time visitor or guest, they have a special gift for you, also a gift for any kids that you might have in your family. If you're a longer-term part of this community, but you're looking for a place to connect or get involved, they'll also be able to answer any questions you have. Pastor Brenda mentioned the beginning of the service, the formation of a new Sunday school class during the 11 o'clock hour. It's something that will be uh, really convenient for folks who like to worship at the gathering at 9:30, and then have a place of deeper connection. And when folks ask me, you know, when should I start volunteering, or or when should I be a part of an adult Sunday school class or a grave group? My answer is, when you want to go from going to church to I can't wait to go to church, that's when. Because doesn't matter what happens, you're not going to get to I can't wait to go to church until you have that community of people to whom you belong and with whom you spend time each and every week. And when you're ready for that, that's when connecting is the next thing for you. So I hope you prayerfully consider that. Also, after this and every service, we would love to pray with you, particularly if there's something going on in the lives of you or someone that you love. Pastor Phyllis will be over at the Congregational Care Station. She would love to pray with you. Now, please bow your heads and receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God's face raise to shine upon you. And may you rejoice as the barriers that separate us from them continue to tumble all around us now and every day. Amen. Go in peace.